morning, everybody. Thank you, Mitchell, for the suitcase demonstration. That was awesome. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I, uh, I got to be the, the bearer of the, uh, the audio Bibles on, on my trip earlier this year. It's, it's a cool feeling knowing you're, uh, you're helping out in that way. So thanks, everybody, who's contributing to that. And uh, it's great, too. Uh, very exciting to see the Covenant sending a writer over there. Um, we'll see what kind of additional support results from that, but that's something we're praying for. Is just more really solid church partners because uh, God has seen fit to let the work there outgrow us, which is a huge blessing. So, hey, uh, so it was great being with many of you at Ash Wednesday this past week. Um, as we're getting into the season of Lent, uh, we're doing a Bible reading plan. I believe that's in your bulletin as well, and it's in the church email. If you want to jump in on that, it's just a few days in, not too late at all. And I know a number of you are, are undertaking various fasts as well as part of Lent. And these are all great ways just to prepare our hearts for the Easter season. And in our teaching series, too. Uh, so uh, today and in the next handful of Sundays as we, we come up on Easter, uh, we're starting a new series called Dust to Dust, and it's all about life in a body, right? And Ash Wednesday kind of highlights this, kind of reminds us that to be human is to live in a body. This is part of what, what it means to be a human being with all the joy that brings and also the difficulty and the frustrations that that brings as well and the frailty, right? We say on Ash Wednesday as we're imparting dust to one another, that we are dust, and to dust we will return. Right? It's life in a body. So it's, it's kind of a simple question that we're asking, but I think kind of an important one, because we don't really ask it, but why do we have a body in the first place? Uh, when we think about how God created us, it, we have to remember the body is not an afterthought. This is part of God's design for us. This is part of God's plan. Right? We could have just been made purely spirit, Right, like angelic beings without the limitations of our physicality. Uh, but no, this, this matter of having a body, this is part of God's purpose for us as well. And we want to just kind of marinate in the question why and some different aspects of that. So here's how we're going to go about it. Uh, in this series, we're going to look at a number of myths that we commonly hold to about our bodies and then contrast these with what the Bible teaches. So Um, like, for instance, kind of the idea that my body isn't the real me. The real me lives inside my body, but isn't the body. That's not true. But it's it's one that we commonly hold on to and kind of affects the way that we sometimes live. Uh, Or, you know, the idea my body is just kind of the shell that I walk around in. Or another is my heart is what really matters. God sees my heart, and so what I do with my body is kind of secondary. It's not actually true. Or, here's a popular and a difficult one for us. This is actually where we'll be going next week. But how my body looks is critical to my happiness. I cannot be happy unless my body looks a certain way or functions a certain way. And today, we're going to start with one that's maybe kind of foundational. And myth number one that we're going to look at is my body is shameful or dirty or sinful. And maybe we don't think about ourselves this way all the time, but I would bet good money that each of us, at one time or another, this is something that we wrestle with. The idea that my body is a source of shame for me, or my body is dirty, or my, my body is sinful. 
uh, we devalue it in this way, right? Maybe this has to do for you, maybe this has to do with how it looks, right? That I'm too fat, I'm too thin, uh, that I'm not good looking enough, that I, I wish I had better hair or just had hair, wish I had a better nose, <laughs> wish I had a stronger chin, wish I only had one chin, whatever the case might be. But we experience some real angst over these things. Or maybe how our body functions, right? We don't think about this when we're healthy, right? And I, I say this in a week when I know there's a ton of people in our church in particular who are sick today. So many things going around. But when our body is not working well, when it doesn't function well, when it gets sick, as it gets older, when we have a breakdown in our physical health or our mental health, that's also a bodily thing, right? How many hospital rooms have I sat in with people, sometimes with one of you, and, and heard a person say, oh, this body. If only it wasn't for this body, you know, and we, we lament that. We struggle with it. Or, you know, or just aging. Knees getting creaky or... You know, I'm, I'm 50 this year, so I'm amazed how if I, I just sit in one place for too long. I'm not doing anything, just sitting in one place for too long. It's like, it's like my back needs jumper cables, you know, to start going again. I need somebody to come and jumpstart my body just from sitting. Or, okay, and uh, we've got to go here a little bit, but sometimes our bodies just embarrass us in general, right? We think of our various bodily functions that we might not want to think about, or body odor, things we'd rather keep covered up. There's a whole industry, if you think about it, there's a whole industry that we're incredibly grateful for that encompasses things like deodorant, right? We're thankful for that for ourselves and the shame we feel in our bodies, but we're thankful for it for our neighbor as well. Deodorant, braces, hair dye, mouthwash, lotions, perfumes, candles, bathroom sprays, basically everything you buy at Target We're thankful for these because they help us feel less shame about our body. And this isn't even to to mention our sins. And when it it comes to temptation and sin, I mean, do you ever feel like temptation just sort of lives in your body itself? Right? Like, Like your mind, your spirit wants to do one thing, but it's like your body has a mind of its own. And like the two are at war against each other. And Jesus, I mean, he put it in a way that so many of us relate to. He's saying to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes we feel like our body is the enemy of the spiritual life. Right? And all these, friends, all of these things, they contribute to this pervasive perception of the body, that it's something for us to be ashamed of, or it's something that's dirty, or it's something that's sinful. Oh, if only we could be rid of these bodies. Finally in heaven, I'll be rid of these bodies. Plot twist, you'll get another body there, because the body is good. And in reality, this is what the Bible consistently teaches, and this is where we start today. Your body is good. We spend much of our lives believing our body is dirty or sinful or shameful. The Bible's teaching is that your body is good. Actually, more than that, it's that your body is actually kind of wonderful. It's part of God's plan. It's not an afterthought to how we are created. It's not an accident. Friends, God made you with a body 
on purpose. This is part of how it is supposed to be. Your body is good. And I know this, this isn't brain science, this isn't rocket surgery. Your body is good. It's such a simple statement. But I, I want us to spend our first morning in the series talking about this because I don't think all of us carry that truth all the way to our heart and live out of a firm understanding that that is actually what's true. Your body is good. And why is that the case? Well, we'll flesh that out a bit this morning, pun intended. Um, text is Psalm 139, and let's pray as we go to it together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you with, with mixed feelings about how we've been made, mixed feelings about these bodies that we've been given. And God, we pray for this morning and in the weeks to come as we explore various aspects of what it means to be bodily creatures We pray, God, that your spirit would minister to us. God, we acknowledge there are places in our thinking and places in our feeling where we just need healing about our relationship with our bodies. And God, would you meet us in this? Speak to us by your spirit, through your word. Fill us with your truth and help us to live it more and more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, friends, Psalm 139, we're going to look at three truths about our body and its fundamental goodness. Number one is this, it's that you are wondrously made, wondrously made. Uh, This Psalm 139, it's a Psalm of David, Israel's greatest king, and he starts with this. Hear these words, he says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Uh, Now, note here briefly, just note how David starts. The psalm starts, and this will become important as we go. It starts with this acknowledgement of, God, you know me completely, inside and out, everything about me. The words I haven't said yet, you know those. He goes on to say, I can't hide from you. Even if I want to, you are always there. I am fully known. And there's a little bit of trepidation for David in that. Maybe you relate to that. It's wonderful to be fully known. And it's a little terrifying to be fully known as well. He goes on. Verse 13, David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now let's pause there. Right, this beautiful statement, and maybe you've heard this before, the statement from the Psalms, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How's that for a statement about God's good creation? Your works are wonderful, he says. I know that full well. David can declare, even with the knowledge that God knows everything about him, he can declare that God made him a thing of 
wonder, something exquisite, something beautiful. There's something wondrous about how God has made him. And note this, friends. Note this, that that this is both inside and out. He says to God, you made, you created my inmost being. And also he talks about God making his frame, right? His physicality, his body is something that God has made. All of him, body included, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we think about it, right, we're so used to bodies, our bodies and other people's bodies. But if if you can kind of zoom out and think about it for a moment, there is something really wondrous about the human body, right? Think, for example, of, of the human hand, right? Either of them, the, uh, the full one or the one that's a little missing. But think of, <laughs> think of the human hand. It is an incredible feat of engineering that we are yet to reproduce, right? There's 27 bones in the human hand, 27 joints, 34 muscles. There's more than 3,000 nerve receptors in a single fingertip. And the sensitivity of our our fingertips, our our perception of touch that happens through the fingers, uh, we're able to detect the details of an object as small as a single human hair, right? And it's it's really interesting. In the medical field, there's there's some exams that have been done by machine forever now that they're actually going back to doing by hand because we're yet to reproduce a scan, a machine, a technology that is able to replicate the sensitivity of the human hand and its capacity to feel very tiny nuance. Uh, Our hands are such that that we have incredible grip strength, right? You think of a mountain climber who's able to hang off the side of a ledge with just their grip and hold their body weight by that. And with the same hands, you can move them delicately enough to cradle a newborn infant. There, there is a wonder to our bodies, the way that they're made. Uh, hand is, is a great example. Uh, think, too, of, of the human brain. You know, and, and sometimes when we, we think about our mind or we think about our mental health or whatever, and we forget that these are connected to a physicality in us as well in the human brain. Uh, but um, the... You'll regularly hear the brain is the most complex known structure in the universe. It doesn't have a close rival. Uh, It only weighs three pounds, but you have in it 100 billion neurons. That's the same number as we have stars in the Milky Way, right? You think of the night skies, and we can only see a tiny fraction of the stars that are visible to the human eye the fullness of that. There are that many, that many neurons in the human brain firing and wiring together all the time. Uh, our, our brains are really a marvelous structure. Uh, and, and speaking of the stars, I mean, do you, do you know the Genesis story? Some of you I know will be familiar with this, but Genesis chapter one, when God is, is making the heavens and the earth, right? He's creating a physical, material universe. Uh, as he is doing this and creating the sun and the stars and the earth and all the things, each day, after he speaks each of these into existence, he finishes by saying what? Do you know it? It's good. 
he creates this material thing and he says of it, it is good. And then the story reaches its apex on day six when humans are created. And when God makes people, and he makes them as physical beings too, they're not like the angels, they have a physical material body. And what does he say at the end of that day? Do you know it? It is very good. He gets to the creation of people and he says, it is very good. It is, in the language of the psalmist, it is wondrous. Your body is not an afterthought. It is part of the beauty and the exquisiteness with which God has made you. Now, some of us, many of us, most of us, maybe you're saying, okay, I get it in theory, but me? (laughs) Wondrous? Really? Has God met me? Right? David, maybe. Right? David was a specimen, at least according to Michelangelo's rendition of David. Yes? But me, with my health issues, or my weak chin, or my weird nose, or my balding head, or whatever it is, what about me? I said, can you receive this? The scriptures say that you are wondrous. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? Don't, uh, hear this. Don't confuse wonderfully made with perfectly made. Right? That can trip us up. Uh, these bodies are fallen, and they are living in a fallen world. Perfection is not going to be experienced this side of heaven. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made imperfections and all. And friends, this means you at your worst, right? When you wake up in the morning and you stumble out of bed and you've got crazy hair and stubble or no makeup or whatever the case might be and there's morning breath and you're stumbling and you're uncoordinated, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body is good. That's, that's the first thing that we get from, from David here in the psalm. The second is that you are personally made. Again, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And take note of the language in this, friends, of how we are made, right? You created me, my inmost being. You knitted me together. I was woven together. This is personal language. This is hands-on language. This isn't creation in the abstract. It's not creation from a distance. It's not mass-producing and churning off humans off of an assembly line. There's something very personal about this. It's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 2, right? Genesis 1, we have God creating the universe, the heavens and the earth, people included, and he's doing this. How? He speaks it, yes? He speaks and something happens. But Genesis 2, we have this zoom in, right? Where it's, it's the creation of Adam and Eve, and it zooms in on these first humans, and, and all of a sudden, it gets a little personal. Uh, it, it says, 
that Adam, he's formed out of the dust of the ground. It's this picture, this, this anthropomorphic picture of, of God, who doesn't have a body, that's why it's an anthropomorphism, but of God kneeling in the dirt. And he gathers and he shapes the dust and he makes it into a human being. And it says God breathes his breath into the man's nostrils. Right? There's all this touch in this picture. God's hands, God's breath, this sort of, you know, mouth-to-mouth CPR sort of moment of breathing life into this being. But it's not detached. It's not abstract. It's very personal. And that's, that's the language of the psalm. Uh, our bodies being the work of a craftsman, of a seamstress, of an artist. It's personal. Now, sometimes we don't necessarily view it that way. Sometimes it's, it's a little more like this. Um, do you, any fans of the far side? I love the God cartoons with far side. So look at this one. So this is God making snakes, right? I love this. He's got his clay. <laughs> he's, he's just... Just rolling them out, making, make, and if you can read the caption, he's like, man, these are a cinch. <laughs> these are the easiest. Uh, sometimes I, I think we view our creation in the same way. That God just kind of, kind of follows the template that he just churns out another person. Boom. Plops us there. David looks at the goodness of our bodies, and he says, it's not that way. It's more like a seamstress knitting something. It's more like a craftsman in there with their hands making something beautiful. Uh, It's more like a worker whose whole being is put into the making of this thing that has been created. Uh, I, I had this piece of wood. It was a really big piece of wood that I needed cut. And I didn't have the right saw for it, nor the skills. But the moment I just didn't have the saw, if, if I had it, I would have tried to do it myself, and it would have been horrible. But I, uh, I had to take it around the corner to this friend's house who was a woodworker. I knew he would have the right saw. And so I brought him this thing, and he made the cut, and it took him like a second. You know, but he, uh, he was working on this table at the time. And I was like, ah, oh, tell me about what you're working on. And, and he's describing this table that he's making. It was really, it was amazing. He was trying to do it with almost no nails or screws, just using dowels and glue. Everything was very, very precise. And, uh, and thinking I was being kind of smart, I said something that I'd heard before, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you're making really precise stuff. So you measure twice, cut once, right? And he kind of chuckled, and he says, yeah, I measure twice, but I actually cut about seven or eight times. And I was like, what do you mean? He says, well, I measure, and then I I cut how it's supposed to be cut. But then I'll shave off just another fraction of an inch because the fit isn't quite right. And then I sand it further, and I work on it further, and I discover, actually, it needs just a little bit more, and I make another cut. And then I sand some more. He's describing the process. It was was so involved, so intricate. And I I had this thought. I thought to myself, I'm not patient enough to be a woodworker. But then I also thought, this, this makes sense. I mean, he makes these pieces and he sells them for a good price and, and for good reason. They're beautiful. They're exquisite. They're made by hand. 
I wonder, friends, what it would do for you and I if we were able to see ourselves in that same way. These bodies that embarrass us or cause us shame or maybe we see as dirty or sinful, if we were able to stop and see God making us the same way, personally, lovingly, exquisitely. Uh, This is part of the picture we're given of what it means when the scriptures say that your body are good. But how about this? We might ask in light of that, well, then why? Why did God make me the way he made me with my particular defects and issues and what have you, if that is the case? I've had folks who've been afflicted with terrible palsies ask me that question. Folks who have a child with a developmental issue, uh, what does it mean that God makes our bodies good when we experience so much difficulty? I remember years ago, um, uh, a dear sister who had just come home from the hospital with with her baby and uh, was sitting with her at her kitchen table and she was describing the condition that her child had. And it's it's a condition called Prader-Willi syndrome. It's very rare, uh, but this this child had that. And uh, this, this beautiful little baby boy as a baby, he looked pretty much like, like every other baby, but she was explaining that the condition that he had meant that he was going to have lifelong impediments to his physical development, where muscle wouldn't develop the way it does in others, and he would have lifelong issues with his body as a result of that, and what he could and couldn't do with it. Uh, there was a whole host of developmental issues that would occur in his brain as well and would likely result in a certain level of cognitive impairment. and They wouldn't know until he got older just how severe that would be. Uh, the worst part of it, though, she told me, is there's a, a condition where these, these children, as they grow, uh, they'll have an insatiable appetite uh, where they can eat and eat and eat, but there's no trigger between their stomach and brain to tell them that they're full. And so as these children grow, they have to, the, the parents, the families have to find ways to restrict food because these children will eat themselves to death. Uh, it is it's a horrible condition. I remember her looking at me with just a fire in her eyes and saying, this condition, was this just forged in the pits of hell or not? And I remember saying it absolutely was. It absolutely was. But we also talked that day, too, about how her son was fearfully and wonderfully made. These two thoughts are not mutually exclusive. Wondrous does not mean perfect. None of our bodies are going to be perfect, and we're all going to experience, to varying degrees, the effects of the fall in our bodies. Why some people more than others, I don't know. Why to this degree but not to this degree, I don't know. It's all part of the the mess that is life in a fallen world. But reality is all of our bodies have been affected by the fall. Does that mean that they are not good? 
Does that mean they aren't wondrous? Does that mean that God hasn't had a personal hand in creating them? No. No, it doesn't. Our bodies are, in fact, good. Uh, This side of heaven, we all will struggle in one way or another. Right? This body is not perfect. The next one will be, but this one is still good and fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, one more. Wondrously made, we've said, and personally made, and also this. You are purposefully made. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Uh, This is interesting to me too. David again references his body, but now it's, it's unformed, right? This is early in his development in the womb. Right? He's saying even when you are squishy, you're a fetus, you're seen by God even then. And he says, even then, he says, God, you've seen all of my days before one of them ever happened, even in the womb. You are a person with a future that God sees. All your thoughts, he says, and Uh, Some of your translations will insert in there the the words concerning me. All your thoughts concerning me. Uh, There's more of these than there are grains of sand on the beach. He says, I wouldn't even be able to count them. He says, before I was even born, when you're still forming me, already you're thinking about me. Thinking about me more than there are grains of sand on the seashore. This is... It's an an excursus, but it's an important uh, place to point this out. This is the understanding that has caused Christians since the very first century to oppose abortion. This idea that even in the womb, a baby is a person, known and loved and with a future that God sees. Right? Every parent-to-be knows this. When you see an ultrasound and you rejoice, you know this is true. Uh, And this is why Christians have held to this since the beginning. But David here, he's speaking especially here of purpose, right? That God has plans for you, that you are created purposefully with those things in mind and created bodily with those things in mind as well. It's reminiscent of Ephesians 2.10. Maybe you know this, but it's a great scripture. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That, the word workmanship, the, the Greek word there is poema. It's probably better translated a work of art. You are a work of art. You are created wondrously, exquisitely, personally, and with a purpose. You are God's poema, created to do good works, which he knows about even before you are alive and able to live into those. They are prepared in advance for us to do. And the psalmist would add that, that God saw these before even one of your days had happened. I had a great conversation this, this past Tuesday with um, many of you know this group, but we, uh, we have a group that we host here called Revoice, or the, the SoCal Side B Network, and it's, it's gay Christians who are 
working out what it means to live their life with Jesus. And they're, they're just a wonderful group of people. But, um, but this, this came up on Tuesday with somebody saying to me, um, talking about their attractions and saying, you know, I've been same-sex attracted as long as I can remember. And asked me, quoted the psalm, am I fearfully and wonderfully made? Right? And, and it's an easy yes. It's like, yes, of course you are. God has made you with purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about it this way, friends. All the temptations that we have reside in our bodies, right? Sexual or otherwise. All of our temptations reside in our bodies. This is not a surprise to God. He created us as material beings, having bodies with the limitations those body has. He anticipated the fall that would happen, the way that that affects us. David writes, from within that fall, and he's able to declare, my body is good. It is a thing of wonder and beauty that God knows and God made. And I said to this brother, you know, um, you know in, in your body you deal with temptations towards the same sex. In my body I deal with temptations towards the opposite sex. There's no difference in that regard. Each is going to bring their own set of difficulties, that's true. And not to deny any of the difficulties associated with that. But each of us carries with us in our bodies particular challenges. Does that take away from what God has made? It does not. And in fact, this is where the conversation went next. In fact, the purposes that God has for you and I these are not disconnected from our bodies either. Right? The purposes that God has for us, the things that he has planned in advance for us to do. It's not for a disembodied, theoretical, spiritual version of yourself. Those things are for your actual self, the one that came with a body, the one you're walking around in right now. In fact, you will do nothing to serve God in this lifetime apart from your Part of the package, people. And on Tuesday, others started chiming into this conversation who are a little further down the road in their journey uh, about purpose. You know, and one was saying, you know, I, uh, uh, he, was, he was saying, as, as a gay man, I have been able to have a voice in the gay community and talking about Jesus that I know I wouldn't be able to if I was straight. He didn't use these words, but he was articulating part of the purpose that God has for him is tied directly to his body. Another said, I've been a better therapist as a result of my experiences. Another one talked about, you know, I don't have a life where I experience romantic love, but I have incredibly significant relationships with this, this group of brothers that I live with. He says, I wouldn't experience that outside of who I am, and the attractions that I have. Right? Do you see the connection here? Uh, it begs a question, friends, I encourage you maybe to dwell on this week. But what does it look like for me with my body, with my entire self, but body included, what does it look like for me to live out God's purposes for me? Because, friends, you were created good and God's purpose for you is 
lived out in your body as well. C.S. Lewis sums it up neatly. He says, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, of our beauty and our energy. There's a purposefulness to our bodies as well, friends. So I want to end on this. I want to give us one, one way to apply this this week. So your homework for the week is gratitude. It's to put into play gratitude, to, like David did, to praise God because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You may feel that. You may not. But I want us to practice this week gratitude. Romans 1 It's a line in there that that caught me this week. It says, For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right? And he's talking here about the creation. He's saying there's those who don't see God in what has been created. And as a result, they don't worship God in it and they don't give thanks. This week, let's practice being those who give thanks. Specifically, giving thanks for our bodies with all the the good and the bad we may see there. So the homework is, every day this week, give thanks for one thing about your physical body. Find one thing, right? Don't focus on the thing you don't like. Don't focus on the feature you wish was different. Don't focus on the health that you wish was better. One thing. And give thanks for that one thing. Here's a prayer to help you. So a... uh, a good spiritual friend gave this to me years ago and I was, I was struggling through this dry spell in my spiritual life. And his counsel to me was, was, I don't want you to do any praying this week that doesn't involve thanks. Don't ask God for anything. Don't confess sin. All I want you to do is just be grateful. Just thank God for one thing. And this, this, is, this is a prompt that was given me and I'm giving it to you. This is a prompt to help you maybe give thanks. It's a very old Hebrew prayer. And it goes like this. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, for you have given me, and then you fill in the blank. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, for you have given me, what? Lungs to breathe in fresh air. Skin that's able to feel the rain, enjoy its wetness, enjoy the cold. Feet that enable us to walk. A heart that's healthy enough to pump blood and keep us moving. What is it that you would give thanks for? Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, for you have given me this body. Let's pray together.